This podcast is called Obsessed. Joseph Scrimshaw and his guest get some secrets off their chest. You should listen. It's the best. Hello and welcome to Obsessed with me, Joseph Scrimshaw. I'm sitting in my home with a great guest. She's the host of the Alice is Everywhere blog and podcast. It's Heather Simmons. Hi there. Hello. Thank you for being here. Oh, I'm so excited. Uh, can can I share the truth with the listeners of how you got here? Sure. You took the train from Santa Monica to Hollywood, which is a long journey. Yes, you have to go downtown, which is much further than Hollywood. <laughs> but you go there first, and then you take a different train and come to Hollywood. Yeah, yeah that's just so awesome, because I always thank people for being here. But I just kind of feel like, thank you for being here, because you took two hours and <laughs> multiple time, trains. This time you really mean it. <laughs> I really got yeah, totally insincere every other time, like an <laughs> asshole. <laughs> but I'm, I'm really glad to have you here to talk about this obsession, because it's something that I only know a little bit uh, about, just kind of culturally in the air and you are clearly an expert uh but first i just want to learn a little bit more about you so you had said uh, in an email that you work with uh, search engines yeah yeah what what is all that about then the the past several years well i signed a pretty tight nda so i'm trying to think how i can phrase this i worked with a lot of major search engines okay and music providers and um pretty much any site with a really big search engine um I just worked on perfecting it, but not like with math and code and stuff, but with like something would come to me like uh, the algorithm failed, like someone, this was obviously not the result that somebody wanted. And okay. Then, um, so it takes human eyes to be like, oh, wait a minute, if someone writes Commonwealth, they don't really want to know how much the rapper Common is worth. They're probably <laughs> looking for something else and so things like that. So. <laughs> wow. Is, is it almost always, and I know the, there might be things you can't say because of NDA stuff and that, mm-hmm. is it almost always just trying to clear it up so it is the more logical answer or is it sometimes an agenda? Is it sometimes like, no, this company really wants this oh. to come up first? No, Um I mean, I've had to like flag inappropriate things, so okay. things they don't want there at all. <laughs> but no, it's not. Yeah, it wouldn't. It was mostly just trying to figure out what the user wants. There was no real ulterior motive okay. from the, <laughs> the companies that I was hired to work for. Okay, just wanted to check my yeah. paranoia levels yeah, and, yeah, and no, find that's, out. That's fair. That's yeah. fair. I can't remember what it was, because so this won't be an interesting story, but I was mm-hmm. trying to Google something that, that it was for like writing research, so you mm-hmm. get into like weird things. Down a rabbit hole, so to speak. Down the rabbit hole, yes, <laughs> which should be a search engine. Um, <laughs> But yeah, but it there was like some much like uh, your your rapper example. There was some very popular song that was named after this more obscure thing that I was looking up, mm-hmm. and I was like, very I can't frustrating. Get past yeah. it to find the actual. But really, it worked well in that sense because right. you said the thing you're looking for is obscure, so yeah. it shouldn't come up first. Yep. So <laughs> I was punished for being interested yes. in, in obscurity, as I should be. Um, so uh, do, does it reframe how you're thinking about anything? Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, in, w- in what ways? Well, I mean, when you ask me, oh, sh- do you want to talk about Alice in Wonderland or Lewis Carroll? I'm like, well, both, but write Alice in Wonderland because that's a <laughs> better keyword and not that many people are going to click on Lewis Carroll or Charles Dodson. So, yeah, I kind of, and I become obsessed with, you know, if I come across something in my everyday life, like, why did that come up? That's not what I was looking for. And yeah, it's hard to turn off. Yeah, trying to kind of reverse engineer it. Yeah. Is there any sort of insights to humanity from doing it so long other than just that uh, culture shifts and we have different priorities of meaning for the same word? Well, I'm not going to answer that question, <laughs> but, I, but I, will, I will tell you. That seems like a good search engine answer. I'm not going to answer what you're looking for, but I'm going to tell you what I think you need to know. 
I will tell you, um, one week the porn filter was broken. <laughs> and so I was getting porn requests that enough people asked to be kind of common, but yeah. they were getting the incorrect results. And boy, was that a window into the darkness of the human soul. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah oh, I bet. I cried and cried. <laughs> I sat there with my mouth, click, click, cry, cry. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes, that was interesting to see that cultural um, side of things. But Yeah, yeah, I understand. It's a fun game to, to do the, uh, just type in the beginning of a reasonable search and then see what other people have asked. Like, I think I did how old, because I was, for someone that I and I stopped at how old and got things like you know how old is the moon how old is my mom like you know what if it were a decade or so ago I used to work right now we'll just talk about all my weird jobs <laughs> instead of Alice in Wonderland how about that but I used to be an internet concierge before what yes before smartphones picture it if you can <laughs> it's can. hard to but uh, you're at a desk in a fancy hotel yeah but no I was in a call center and people <laughs> people would call in for normal things like driving directions or um, on Saturday nights there'd be a lot of bar bets that need to be settled. But what, <laughs> what made me uh, think of this is at least once a week, and I was one of many, many people who worked there, but at least once a week I would have to answer the question, how old are the Olsen twins? When are they legal? <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, so, so that tells me a lot of things about exactly when this was happening. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and yeah. yes, lots of upsetting truths about humanity. Yeah. We actually had it as part of our like dashboard, like common questions. We'd have quick links to. And yeah, I mean, that <laughs> came up a lot. Was there... So who were you actually working for? What was the company? The company was called iNet Now, long since gone. Yeah, okay. You know, they just came in and took our furniture one day and it was, <laughs> it was over. Bye. Yeah. Uh, was there from your employer a don't judge any questions, just answer quickly? Yes, there There was. Uh, you, If you were uncomfortable, you could pass it on to a okay. supervisor, um, which I did a few times, but not usually. Yeah, just try to try to answer it. I mean, if it's Oh wow! Yeah, we could go down a whole rabbit hole here. Yeah, but no, yeah, I when 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 people would call in and ask for certain actresses' uh, bra size, yeah. I would get very offended because I'm like, okay, if someone calls in and asks how big Shaq's penis is, can I answer that? If the answer is <laughs> yes, then I'll look it up. But yeah. I don't think I can. And yet you're having me answer bra sizes. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Understandable. I got only a small glimpse into that kind of thing uh, when I worked at Kinko's uh, in Minneapolis as many years ago. And sometimes people get in their heads that just Kinko's provides anything. Uh, and it got a lot of weird requests. I got one woman who wanted to know how much gas cost in Wisconsin. And this was in Minneapolis. And it was so furious. I just said, I don't know. We yeah. make copies. Yeah. Do you have a question about copies? She's like, this is very unprofessional. Like, very unprofessional. It is because it's not it's, my profession. It's not your profession at all. No. <laughs> all right. Well, let's get into your obsession. Thank you for uh, for letting me dive into a little bit of Search Engine so I understood oh, where you were yeah, coming and from. and edit out as much of that as you'd like. <laughs> not a single bit. <laughs> all right. Uh, so Alice in Wonderland in general is your obsession, but yes. also like the books, the culture of it, the author, all that. Mm -hmm. For people who are kind of like, oh, yeah, Alice, the rabbit, some cards, the Tom Petty video, got it. Uh, <laughs> what is the overview of the actual books, the actual genesis? And that's what I'm obsessed with are the original books. Like, I'm totally willing to watch anyone's take, whether it be a movie or, you know listen to song lyrics or whatever, but the original books are what, okay. what got me into it when I was seven years old. Uh, so Alice is sitting with her sister on a bank, and she's be feeling very sleepy and stupid, and within <laughs> two, 
two sentences, a rabbit runs by her and she sees him take a watch out of his waistcoat pocket and she thinks I better follow this guy. And, uh, and so she dives down a rabbit hole without any thought as to how to get out again. And what follows are sometimes frustrating adventures. Um, a lot of, I was about to say unsavory characters, that's not right, but unpleasant characters, a lot of brusque characters. Yeah. No, no one's very nice to her in Wonderland. Um, but her her main objective seems to be to get to this beautiful garden, right? When she lands, she's like, oh, look at that garden. I got to get there. And, okay. that, and that's when you get the keys and the growing bigger and smaller and she can't fit through the door. And that part takes kind of a long time. But uh, <laughs> but in chapter eight, she does finally get to the garden. But what's great is since this is the literature of nonsense, the garden's terrible. It's it's not fun <laughs> at all. It's, there's a queen walking around like demanding people be beheaded. It's just chaos. And almost immediately, someone says, hey, why don't you go talk to the Mock Turtle? And the story grinds to a halt. And she talks to the Mock Turtle for two chapters and then returns to the queen and the king. And then the book's over. (laughs) (laughs) And then there's only the one sequel, right? Yes, there's Through the Looking Glass. Uh, Alice's Adventures in Wonderland was published in 1865. Through the Looking Glass came six years later. Okay. And same protagonist, except this time her adventures start by going through a mirror in her living room into looking glass land and uh those characters are not as well known a lot of people kind of confuse or combine the queen of hearts from the first book with the red queen from the second book but they are very different very different personalities no one is um demanding beheadings in the second book (laughs) Um, but yeah looking glass it's basically set up like a chess game which is part of lewis carroll's brilliance he was a mathematician as well and so it's actual chess moves, if you know how to play chess, which I don't. But I, at the beginning, they have a little chart showing you when she's moving from which square to which square. So like her path through the actual environment yes. is on a chessboard. Yeah, okay. like whenever she crosses a brook, she's in a new square, <laughs> things like that. <laughs> and so her main objective in this book is to become a queen. She's starting off as a pawn, and she wants to become a queen at the end. Um, and she does. Um, but spoiler alert, that's not that great either. <laughs> like she just keeps wanting these things. And then when she finally gets it, it's like, ugh. Um, and also big spoiler alert. Turns out she was dreaming both times. Okay. Didn't really happen. And is there any suggestion in the second book of, oh, it happened again? Or is it, does it just happen to be the same protagonist? Does she reflect on previous adventures? She does not reflect on previous adventures, but what's fun for the reader is there are two characters who pop up in Looking Glass Land who we know from Wonderland. Oh, okay. Um, so, yeah. Um, does yeah it, she, so, she but knew- Alice doesn't know them, just the reader does? Yeah, it, you know what they never say. Like Alice is like, "Oh, look, it's Hatter, everyone!" Like she doesn't say that. Um, but yeah, it just it just happens that the two, uh, one of the king's messengers, he has well, he has two messengers, and one turns out to be the Hatter, and one turns out to be the March Hare. They have slightly different names. In Looking Glass, they are Hatta, okay, H A T T A, and Hayer, H A I G H A. Um, which that's my pen name actually on my website. Oh, okay. Heather Hayer. <laughs> oh, okay. But yeah, and you actually wouldn't, I mean, you could probably guess from the Hatta, but you wouldn't really know except um, the same man did the illustrations and you can see, oh, that's, that's, that's exactly Hatter. <laughs> Look the who's same here. character. Yeah, okay, that's yeah. awesome. But no, Alice, yeah, there's no sense of, oh my gosh, this is happening again. In both books, she just kind of moves forward. Like, she doesn't question anything. She's not like, what am I doing here? She's just like, yeah, let's, let's She just do wants this. to get to her goal, which yeah. ends up being only somewhat satisfying, and yeah. then she wakes up. 
<laughs> we can dive into the meaning of that. Uh, but I want to talk about your actual like relationship with it too, and your yeah. your path into them. You said you discovered them when you were seven. How, how did that happen? Seven years old. We had um, and if if me working when there wasn't any internet yet is not a clue, <laughs> I'm not that young. <laughs> so growing up, I had something called the companion library books, and I don't know if. Anyone out there is going to remember those, but it, it would have a classic, a full unabridged classic, and then you'd flip it over and there would be another one on the other side, oh, so cool. companion books. Um, and Alice's Adventures in Wonderland and Through the Looking Glass were on one side. The other side was the five little peppers and how they grew <laughs> did not quite have the cultural significance of Alice. I don't um, remember that Tom Petty yeah. video, no. <laughs> Yes. But yeah, I, um, I don't, you know... There were a lot of books on my parents' shelves, and they bought a lot of books. My, I have two older brothers, so there were always, you know, books kind of above my level that yeah. I was attempting to read. And, yeah, just one day I picked Alice. For a long time, I don't think I even realized it was two books in one, because being the companion book, like, right. you would just keep turning the page. And it like, really oh, she's, she's somewhere else yeah. now. Okay. Um, but, yeah, and what I think makes me somewhat unique, even amongst <laughs> Alice in Wonderland huge fans and Lewis Carroll aficionados is the books have always made perfect sense to me. Like, really? And it's supposed to be the liter- literature of nonsense. It's yeah. not supposed to make sense, but <laughs> everything, everything that happens, I'm like, oh, of course, of course that person said that. Why wouldn't Alice do that? Um, I've never questioned any of it. Okay. So, and you had that feeling immediately and that love yes. on the very first reading? Yes. Absolutely. What made you feel like it made sense? Was it just like an emotional, uh, did you like see yourself in Alice? I definitely want, I'd like to say I saw myself in Alice. I I see more of me now in her, but as a child, absolutely not. Like I was just, I never questioned authority. I did whatever it else told me to do. I was like a very good girl. So (laughs) Alice, I mean, it's not that she's not a good girl, but she's pretty sassy here and there. And she kind of comes, has really quick comebacks to kings and queens and yeah. people you wouldn't think a child would feel comfortable <laughs> clapping back to but uh so i i definitely wished i was like alice but yeah not so maybe that was part of it just i aspired to be her no, yeah i wasn't yeah did was it uh, that desire if you were a good uh a well-behaved child mm-hmm. uh quote unquote and <laughs> and you were seeing alice clap back mm-hmm. and also just kind of nonsense being something that is by definition breaking rules was it a, a a desire to do that that made you feel like it made sense of like, yeah, of course. I'm not supposed to follow random rabbits, so yeah, of course I want to. Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's not following any rules whatsoever. She's doing whatever she wants. She mentions having lessons a few times when she's down below <laughs> and how she's going to be missing them, and so that certainly sounded good. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, yeah, a desire to be that forthright and comfortable in your own skin and and yeah and I was one of those it's funny I I feel like the adults in my life thought I was like oh a smart kid who's comfortable around adults and I was oh I was so awkward around adults inside I was just like <laughs> grown up yeah, please go away did you find them weird or did you worry about them being judgmental or controlling I think I felt like just by the nature of them being older and adults they you know, they were one up on me. Like okay. they just think, I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, I was never comfortable around yeah. as a kid. Did you have anyone to share your love of the books with when you were a kid? Did your siblings like them or friends at school or? Uh, definitely not siblings. Um, 
I had a few friends growing up who were into it and had actually read the books because that's what's kind of unusual. It's kind of funny. Like, everyone is so familiar with these characters. They think they've read the books. Yeah. And most people, they really haven't. <laughs> and I don't know how they came up with this this statistic, but some British newspaper said that it was the book that more people lie about reading than any other book <laughs> in history. And I honestly don't think they're doing it consciously. Like, they think they've read it because they've seen the movies or... You know, they've seen a commercial. With yeah, I mean, like, on it and, I just I yeah. I read the Wikipedia page for both of the books and oh, in yeah. in a little bit of Carol's himself to just kind of, which is the the level of research I do for Obsessed because I want the guests to be able to tell me about it. Um, and it was just like amazing how much it was like, yeah, you just read it and you hear different songs and you see flashes of different movies or you yeah. remember that you just heard a pundit say this phrase on television the other day that it, it's one of those things that's so in cultural yeah. osmosis that you feel like well yeah everybody's read it but then you have that experience of if you actually read it like does anybody know what the fuck is actually in here right did you read this <laughs> yeah. do you know what this says i mean uh, besides things like just the phrases you know, down the rabbit hole or through the looking glass which are used so often yeah like you said on newscasts or in movies or whatever i mean there's all kinds of words that Lewis Carroll contributed to the English language um, that probably a lot of people don't know about chortle, chuckle and snort. Oh, that, really? Yes, that is a portmanteau, which also he came up. I mean, a portmanteau existed. It was a suitcase with um, two separate sides. But okay. he came up with the idea of having words that are portmanteaus that you just smush them together. And now we have a new word. Uh, so chortle is the most famous of those, I would think. That's one you might actually hear people saying like Mimsy, which is... Um, what is it? Flimsy and miserable. Like you don't hear that one so much. <laughs> but you should. <laughs> yes. Brillig is the hour um, when you start um, broiling things for dinner. <laughs> it's around 4 or 5 p.m. So, yeah, there, there are a lot of things he contributed. He came up with the forerunner to Scrabble even. He was an inventor and he came up with all kinds of games. Um, so his contributions to popular culture are, are pretty vast. Um, yeah. And yeah, and most people don't know. Yeah, because they haven't read the books or... Yeah, or maybe they've just seen the Disney movie or the Tom Petty video. Yeah. <laughs> that's I don't know why that's the main thing my mind goes to. Oh, but. it was a great video. I mean, it's very memorable. And I remember it was controversial at the time, too, because they're chopping her up and eating her at yeah. the end. And people thought that was like misogynistic or something. And it's like, no, it's okay. It's just an eat me cake. It's fine. <laughs> it's just a literary reference yeah, of a book cool. everyone claims to have read. Right. Like, I can't, I literally can't remember. I know I owned it mm -hmm. and I think I read most of it, but I honestly don't know if I read yeah. all of it. Yeah. Uh, so you seem to like have delight just even uh, talking about like some of the nonsense words. What was the sort of the comedy of it? a big uh, draw to you when you were a kid it's very funny yeah and that's one of the one of the reasons well i started the podcast because again i thought most people haven't read this book so the first 24 <laughs> episodes or not exactly but the first um many episodes of my podcast where i would read a chapter from a book and then talk about it so first we did wonderland had a few episodes to wrap that up and then we did looking glass um but yeah i wanted it's funny like in an adult way too you know it's not yeah. just like silly humor like there's all kinds of like cringeworthy puns and things like that <laughs> and slapsticky things happening but it's yeah the the humor is is huge yeah even just when she's falling down the rabbit hole in the very first chapter she just has this running monologue 
I think that's another reason I identify with her a lot is I talk to myself a lot. It might, it might come from working at home for yeah, so long. Yeah. But, but I, I, yeah, sometimes I go out in public, I'm like, oh, I'm doing it here. I need to stop that now. I understand. <laughs> yeah. But she's falling down the rabbit hole and she just has this whole internal monologue about maybe she'll end up in New Zealand and she's going to have to ask someone where she is and that'll never do. And she takes things off the shelves because, of course, the rabbit hole is lined with cupboards and shelves and she looks at it and, oh, I can't drop it. I'm going to kill someone below, puts it back. And just, yeah, <laughs> very funny. That's very great. Funny That's great. So you started the the podcast and the blog and you, you say we. Uh, are you being uh, royal and Victorian or do you do it with someone? Oh, did I say we? You know what? I say we when I'm talking on the podcast, too, because I like I feel like it's. Like my listeners, yeah, they're not. It's not a huge group. It's only like a thousand, but they're devoted, and like yeah. so. I I call it like our podcast when I'm talking to them. But yeah, no, it's just me. <laughs> okay, so you started this out of wanting to share it with people. Yes. Okay, so you had just been having like interactions with adults where like the you realized that people hadn't actually read it. Yeah, and I just noticed. There's just so many people have misconceptions about it. Like they think Lewis Carroll was on drugs. That's a huge one. I blame Grace Slick for that with the yeah. White Rabbit song. You know, that Caterpillar chapter has launched a thousand tie-dye t-shirts. Is that the, does the Caterpillar have the hookah? He's got the hookah. Yeah, yes. that doesn't help with the drug thing. Yes. Right? Like even if not intended at the time, right? right. But. Yeah, not intended. Like eating, and in the same chapter, she eats some of the mushroom to become large and small. But the thing is, like, eating mushrooms was psychedelic mushrooms. That wasn't a thing in Victorian times. Yeah, nobody looks at, like, the original Super Mario video game and goes, this is all about drugs. Right? I hope not. <laughs> and, and the hookah. I mean, I've told my listeners, if you want to believe there's something funky in the hookah, that's fine. If you want to think it's opium, that's great. But at the time, like, India was kind of in, in Victorian England. Like, they people were really into learning about it, and, you know, people travel there and come back. And right. So a hookah would be, like, kind of a trendy thing to have at that time, but most likely it was just plain old tobacco being smoked. Right, just a cultural influence, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> so was there a specific catalyst that made you go, all right, I'm sick of people driving all of the meaning of this from the Grace Slick song. <laughs> I'm going to help people. But, you know, I don't know. I, I think I always had it in the back of my mind. I'd like to do something. Um, and then I was inspired a little bit by a social media conference I worked at actually and okay. just I because I I didn't know that much about podcasting I hadn't listened to many podcasts and at the time they're like this is great I mean with blogs a needle in a haystack but podcasts hardly <laughs> anyone has a podcast which certainly that's changed but I just thought I don't think there is one that exists yeah. I mean, not even on Victorian literature much less so specialized into one author and his works um and the 150th anniversary of the book was coming up, and I just kind of, well, this is a very good time to launch it. People are actually talking about the book which yeah. in you know the media, which doesn't happen very often. Um, so no, there wasn't a huge, like, eureka moment that made me want to do it. Okay. It just kind of, yeah, kind of culminated. I started the, the blog um, about six months before the podcast, so that, that launched on July 4th, 1865, which was the date the book was released. And uh, and yeah, the podcast came about six months later. Okay. But, but I always planned to do the podcast. And, and you've read through uh, all of both books at this point, right? I have. The only other uh, Lewis Carroll work I've we've done the whole th whole thing of, it's not that long, is uh, Phantasmagoria I did at Halloween okay. uh, one year. But yeah, I, there's so much more. It's so funny. I, I was talking to a 
a comic friend of mine and she's like, wait, how many episodes have you done? And I'm like, I don't know, something like 45. And she's like, how is that possible? And I'm like, I haven't even scratched the surface. Like there's so much more. I've hardly talked about his photography or his inventions or we haven't even talked about his later works or well, I guess I'm not really going to talk about his logic books. We're not going to read those. <laughs> but yeah, there's, there's some other fiction that and poetry. Yeah. Po- poetry from the time he was uh, – a kid, he would make a little magazine to entertain his oh, wow. 11 brothers and sisters, I think. A very big family. Um, and, yeah, and a lot of snippets from those made it into the Alice books later on. So okay. just all his life, he was just this creative powerhouse. Yeah. I mean, just uh, having the general cultural knowledge and re-scanning the, the Wikipedia entries, there's just, there's to me, there's so much to talk about as somebody who likes to talk about art and writing and story yeah. and what was the intention of a hookah pipe. And right. now it kind of... How much does it matter what the intention was? Because now people are going to read it that way. So how does that change it? And just like, Mm -hmm. there's so many ideas. Oh, yeah. Just in the books. And then his life on top of it. I can see you doing a podcast for thousands of years. Right. And I've hardly even talked about movie versions. Actually, I've reviewed a few. Like when the Alice Through the Looking Glass movie with Sasha Baron Cohen came out a few years ago. You know, I did an actual review talking about that. But there are so many movies. Um, Yeah, the foremost Alice movie historian just died um, in the la- within the last year. But yeah, I mean, there's, I guess I can't say hundreds, but I feel like there might be hundreds if you include like TV movies and cartoons and yeah. just so many different versions. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I asked about uh, how much you related to Alice as a kid mm-hmm. n- now that you're an adult and can consciously, uh, you know, almost choose to. Mm-hmm. Do you choose to uh, see yourself in Alice or, or be like Alice in any way? <sighs> yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd like to think I'm like her. Just, again, just kind of quick thinking. And, I mean, I am like her in that sometimes I say things a little too quickly (laughs) without thinking. (laughs) You know, I I recall talking. I heard a friend of mine talking to someone else about a TV show. And I immediately was like, ah, I just can't get into that, blah, blah, blah. I didn't realize the person he was talking to wrote for the TV show. (laughs) Like, things like that. (laughs) Things like that where you should just wait. You should see what the situation is. And actually, that turned out fine. It was nice because he was like, oh, he was really curious because I guess the show wasn't doing that well. And he's like, what do you think the issue is? And, you know. So it turned out okay, but still I would have rather not done that. Well, that's a very Alice thing because in a way you challenged uh, in authority. That's true. I guess so. Yeah, inadvertently. Yeah. But yeah, Alice, when she first lands in Wonderland, um, the first animal she actually talks to is a mouse, which I feel like is very underappreciated. No one even remembers a mouse, but he's... Is that the Dormouse? No, not even. It's just a mouse with a capital M. (laughs) And and yeah, when she's... uh, well, she's grown and shrunk a few times at this point, and she's swimming in her own pool of tears, uh, and all kinds of other animals start falling in, and there's quite a menagerie. But the first one she talks to is a mouse, and oh, she just offends him over and over again because she's like trying to make conversation and like, oh, you know, I have a cat. Oh, you should see her eat the little birds. And he's like, because why wouldn't he be? Um, but yeah, yeah, that mouse is very underappreciated. I mean, he's bilingual for pity's sake. She she talks to him in French for a while. It's amazing. <laughs> uh, is your sense of the books that uh, a part of the intent is just that it is good for children and I guess children of all ages to have adventures to just go somewhere different and explore and navigate? Well, now we're going to get into the origin <laughs> of the book and. No, there was no uh, really point to the story when it was first told because uh, Charles Dodson, who 
changed his name to Lewis Carroll for okay. his, or his pen name. He didn't change it legally or anything. Um, he, he used to spend a lot of time entertaining the dean's daughters where he taught. He taught at Christ Church College for almost all his life. Okay. And so this new dean moves in with a bunch of little kids and... Charles liked to spend time with little kids. The jury is out on how weird or not that was. A lot of people have very strong opinions. Um, uh, yeah, I was reading that on his Wikipedia. Yeah. That it seems to be a back and forth discussion yes. of, but, you know, was that just the of, of the time? Right, exactly. You would talk to kids a lot, or was it? Or was it not hmm. great? Yeah. yeah. So he would um, take the dean's three daughters uh, on little boating excursions up the Thames. Often his friend, the Reverend Robinson Duckworth, was with him because everyone in Victorian times had amazing names. <laughs> the Reverend Duckworth. And so uh, so he would come up with stories to entertain them, which again, I, like I said, he'd been you know writing little stories and poems his whole life since he was a kid. So this was kind of a natural thing to do. And uh, you know the kids would get bored and he'd tell them a story. And uh, one day... He's just like, oh, I don't know. And they're like, no, tell us a story. And he's like, okay, uh, let's see. The little girl's name is uh, Alice. And Alice is the name of the middle child who's actually sitting in the boat. Um, okay. It was Lorena, Alice, and Edith were the three girls. Their last name is Little. Um, so, yeah, uh, let's see. Alice, and she uh, followed a rabbit down a rabbit hole, okay? And then he just made it up as he went along. And Duckworth, as he's rowing along, asked him, you're just making this up? Except he said it in a really Victorian way. Like, yeah. is this an extempore romance, <laughs> Charles? And he's like, <laughs> he's like, yeah, yeah, it is. And uh, every- I say. <laughs> I say, good man. And uh, everyone on the boat that day says that the story was much better than usual because it's the first time the girls asked him, can you please write this down? Like, we want to see this later and we want to see what else happens to Alice. And so years later, um, <laughs> so he was basically in this boat day after day having pitch meetings, and this yeah. is the one that sold. This is the one that stuck, yeah. And uh, and years later, he said, yeah, the only you know people have put a lot of meaning into this story, but it was just to entertain a child that I loved. That was it. I was that that was why I wrote it. Um, so he did start writing it down. It took him a few years to finish. He made his own kind of crude illustrations which are fun to look at um the original title is alice's adventures underground okay um, and yeah he he gave it to alice's mother to give to her and they all loved it and then finally he's like boy i wonder if this is worth publishing and he showed it to a friend of his who is a uh successful children's book author and that guy showed it to his kids and i think the quote was i wish there were 60 volumes of this it was what the little oh, wow. boy said and so i believe he had to bankroll most of the publishing fees himself. Okay. I don't know if that's just, and it was Macmillan, like it was a big house, yeah. but like, I guess that's how it worked back then. I don't know. But he put a lot of his own money into publishing it and getting a an established illustrator. It was John Tenniel, who at the time did mostly political cartoons, but he managed to convince him to. So he would have been well known at the time. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, and Tenniel actually had a problem with the first printing. Um, it's very valuable if you can find one of those books nowadays. And there's not much difference. Like, you know, there's a little shadow or something, or maybe something's not as sharp as it should be. And Charles, sure enough, gathered them all back and paid to have it reprinted because John Tunniel wow. was not happy with the illustrations. Okay. So my there, I have so many questions. Uh-huh. My biggest one <laughs> is, uh, how did Lorena and Edith feel that it was Alice's book and, right? and they were in the boat too. What's the deal with that? I know. And they're like, "Excuse me, chop, chop liver over um, here." You did a second one, and it's not even. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Lorena goes to China. Or yeah. Anything? yeah, and actually, they crop up in the books. Um, 
well, I guess just in the first book, Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, um, Charles Dodson tried to, or I'll just, I'll just say Lewis Carroll, shouldn't I? <laughs> you can <laughs> say whatever you want. It's your obsession. But, but uh, he tried to fill the book with things that Alice would recognize, um, things, okay. things from her everyday life. And so he had a lot of characters that would either blatantly or subtly remind her of people in her life as well. For example, there is someone named the Duck who is obviously the Reverend Duckworth. Okay. Um, <laughs> and uh, the aforementioned menagerie that fell into the pool, pool of tears with Alice, there is a lorry and an eaglet. The lorry is Lorena and the eaglet is Edith. Okay. And Still then, not titular. No, nice not to at be all. Included, but... <laughs> yes, exactly. And yeah, and they're kind of snotty. <laughs> not very nice. Um, but they're there. And then later when the Dormouse tells a story about three girls... Uh, stuck in a well because <laughs> like what else would you be telling little children um the the three girls are very obviously the uh the three sisters and there's just different plays on their name like one's named elsie e-l-s-i-e which is lorena's charlotte's okay um, you know initials and things like that um so they're in there but they're yeah there, it's but... not quite having like one of the most famous books in the world <laughs> written about you not quite the same thing but alice uh by all accounts was his favorite okay it, it that seems to bear out with yes. the uh, whole naming and the character <laughs> yeah. so how do you feel you've spent so much time with them for me as um a writer person and just my own personal bias about the way i think about art and and writing how for me it's hard to think how could someone like lewis carroll sit down and write a story in which a girl ends up in a pool of her own tears and go, it doesn't mean anything. Like, you must know that even if it means nothing to you, others will assign meaning to it because these are symbols that have meaning that can be assembled in different ways by different people. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, he was a pretty prim and proper gentleman. He was... he was actually a, an ordained deacon. He was supposed to become a minister to remain an Oxford Don. You were supposed to okay. become a minister. It's a little unclear how he got out of that. Um, <laughs> he did have a stutter, so he didn't like giving sermons very much. He'd do it occasionally if he had to. So okay. I don't know if that had anything to do with it. If they're like, yeah, yeah, you're fine. Don't worry about it. But uh, yeah, so he was a deacon. Um, he was so prim and proper. Yeah, I don't think he would ever dream that people have theorized that Alice going down the rabbit hole is like the birth canal, you know, <laughs> things like that. Um, I Yeah, I honestly... And, and it's just how his brain worked. And yeah. again, and, and I think it's the same essay, Alice on the Stage, it's called. It's He rarely talked about his writing process, but um, he, he wrote this long essay called Alice on the Stage. And stuff just came to him like he's so lucky <laughs> like <Yeah. laughs> I, I remember reading that like flannery o'connor would sit down from 8 a.m to 10 a.m every single day even if she had no inspiration whatsoever but like i'm gonna be ready if an idea comes i'm here to receive it kind of thing and he's just the exact opposite um he was walking around on some bluffs one day uh i think someone had just died in his life he was kind of depressed and and just the line came to him, the snark was a boojum, you see. <laughs> I mean, what, is that? what, what does that mean? No, but, yeah, but he knew what it meant, and he wrote The Hunting of the Snark. And yeah. spoiler alert, that ended up to be the last line of the book, so he's a boojum. But, uh, <laughs> but it, it, it just would come to him. Um, same thing with Through the Looking Glass. You know, the idea of going through a glass and everything's backwards. Yeah. Um, I mean, it seems almost cliche now, but at the time, I think it was pretty new. Like, if you want to get somewhere, you'd walk the opposite direction when you're in Looking Glass and yeah. things like that. Um, but a different Alice actually claimed that she gave him inspiration for that. I mean, it's obviously still the same Alice, the protagonist, but a distant cousin of his, um, 
he had her look in the mirror and hold an orange because, again, he was really into logic and math and stuff. And he's like, okay, what hand are you holding the orange in? And she said, the right hand. And he said, what hand is the girl in the mirror holding the orange in? And she thought that's what gave him the idea, like, oh, what if a little oh. girl lived on the other side of the mirror? And um, he had actually started writing it a few months before then. I think she just really <laughs> wants to be a part of this narrative. <laughs> but, but it's a fun, so. But it's a fun little detail. Get in line behind yeah. Lorena and Edith. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, so, so, yeah, he didn't, yeah, I mean, the pool of tears, I mean, he just thought, I don't know. I don't know how he came up with it. But these I mean, I, yeah, ideas I, would just come to him. I guess I, I understand the perspective. And, like, I'm a big David Lynch fan. And I think Lynch is also the kind of person who's just like, you know, when he describes creating the Red Room in Twin Peaks, you know, he starts by saying, uh, well, it was late in the afternoon and I put my hand on a very warm car and it came to me. And it, <laughs> so I think he works in the same way. Yeah. And he doesn't like talking about the meaning. But I've never heard him sort of go, doesn't, doesn't mean anything. I think that's the part of it that I understand going, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm just been in a story to entertain somebody and oh, well, if yeah. somebody cries, oh, if they cried a lot, it'd be a pool and then they'd float in the pool. I understand just having that sort of like almost jazz. That's great. Yeah. They, yeah. That's wonderful. That's beautiful. But then to look back and look at what you've written mm-hmm. and go and not think people will assign meaning to that Yeah, is, is the part of it that I, that <laughs> I have a hard time processing. Can I tell a really quick David Lynch story? You're oh, gonna, please. Because you're yes, going to like course. it. You're going to like it. I'm going to have to drop a name here. Because <laughs> I don't know if you, you know, know this, but I peripherally know some famous people. Well, please. I do live in Los Angeles. We're in Hollywood all. right now. Yeah. And I, I I, believe this was just told me anecdotally. I don't think it's part of an official interview or anything. So this is real inside info. Um, My friend Eli uh, is friends with David Lynch, Eli Roth. And uh, he said, and this is years ago. He's he's known him forever. Um, So... Years and years ago, he said, you know, David, you got to start doing DVD commentary. People really want to know what, where you get these ideas. I mean, they're fascinated. They're so unusual. You have to explain these things to people. And uh, according to Eli David Lynch's response was, if I did DVD commentary, it'd be like this. Diarrhea, 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 <laughs> diarrhea. <laughs> and I think later on, he did actually start doing them. But he was very resistant for a while because I guess... Does that mean he wants people to come up with their own interpretations, I guess? Or he yeah, wants, you know. I think so. I think he yeah. it, like he said some cryptic things, you know, about like what. Yeah, I yeah, I made that choice. <laughs> but yeah. you you make the choice, yeah. you know, to and, and I, I appreciate that because right now, like even movies I like and directors I like the the phenomenon we're having right now where like the movie comes out on Friday, the whole entire Internet has strong opinions by Saturday and they're <laughs> and the creators already removing all mystery by giving eight interviews yeah. the next day and and that happens with lots of people but anyway uh back to your uh mm-hmm. your adventures with alice do you for yourself uh enjoy uh assigning meaning or interpretation not necessarily putting it on lewis carroll but just for yourself um not so much no i don't i don't need it like the the mad tea party you know, if you want to just see if you like the book or not, just open up to chapter seven and read the Mad Tea Party. And I guess, well, I should say nothing anyone's saying is making any sense, except like I said, it always made sense to me. Um, And everyone's rude to each other. And there's just, there's no, like the first thing the Hatter says to Alice after a long silence is, your hair wants cutting. That's just his opening. That's the Hatter's first line in the whole book. But uh, yeah, it's, none of it makes any sense. And that's, what I love about it, and honestly, assigning meaning to the book as a whole is much easier than little bits of nonsense throughout right. our characters here and there. And it's very clear 
what his point was, and and I agree with it, and it's amazing. Um, the last two pages of Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, Alice wakes up and she tells her sister about her crazy dream, and her sister's like, "Oh, off with you, go inside." And the sister, it seems like she's quite a bit older, um, okay. like t- at least a teenager. She definitely knows about the un- unbearable heaviness of being because <laughs> after Alice goes inside, she puts her, her head in her hand and half closes her eyes and half believes herself in Wonderland and just thinks about when Alice grows up, you know, hopefully she's going to keep this pure heart of a child and be able to identify with children still. And yeah. and uh, And then, but then the sister says, you know, but I knew if I opened my eyes, all would be dull reality again. And I mean, isn't that why we read any book or watch any yeah. movie? Is we want some escape. And for me, the chaotic nonsense of Wonderland <laughs> is the perfect escape. Like when I open it, it sounds insane, I realize, but I've read it about once a year since I was seven, <laughs> a lot of times. That's awesome. And just when I open it, it's always like, it's like a sense of relief. It's like, oh, she's still there. She's still there. And just after, again, two sentences, so economical, bam, down the rabbit hole. Like, we don't waste any time. Through the looking glass, it's kind of obvious he spent more years writing it. And it's not necessarily for the better because things it's not economical. Like, in Through through the Looking Glass, she spends about four pages talking to her cat before she goes through the looking glass. You know, like, oh, my God, stop talking to the cat. Just go to looking glass land already. Um, So it's not as, as succinct. Yeah. But um yeah, but the same same idea at the end of that or not at the end of that, but late in the book, um there's a character that is Lewis Carroll. Like he later signed something the White Knight, so we know he thought of himself as the White oh, Knight okay. and it's uh And that's from uh, This looking, is through the looking glass. Through, okay. Yeah. So he he is being much more self-aware. Yes, and he he helps Alice get out of the wood and he says, you know, would you mind waving your handkerchief at me as you say goodbye? And so it's very clear that this is him saying goodbye to the child who's gonna you know yeah. enjoys talking to him now but you know when she becomes <laughs> when she becomes an adult and moves on and gets married like her, she's her not gonna, eyes are gonna open up and yeah. he'll, he'll be dull yeah, yeah. exactly yeah. <laughs> exactly you you described when i asked you to kind of basically describe the books you mm-hmm. both you gave them both a shape of like alice goes on a, a bizarre adventure she gets mm-hmm. frustrated she talks back she thinks she wants a thing she gets there and realizes, eh, yeah. it's not all that. <laughs> yes. And then she wakes up. So for you to even phrase it that way, what do you feel like that? What do you get out of looking at the books that way? Do you feel like it is some sort of parable about be, be careful what you, not what you wish for in a, in a punishing way, but um, the, that we can create illusions where like in order to propel ourselves forward, we just tell us ourselves we want this next thing. And then you get there and like, I'm still me and this thing's fine. <laughs> You know, what what does it mean for you? Turns out every place you go, you take yourself. That's not a lie. That's not a Lewis Carroll uh, prose. That is a Lana Del Rey lyric from a, from a recent song. But yes. Another great artist. <laughs> yes. So, uh, yeah. Um, it, you know, I don't see it that way because, I mean, I... I I skipped ahead a little. Like, yeah. when she gets to the thing where it's like, ah, oh, man, this isn't what I thought it would be, <laughs> then something else immediately ridiculous happens to kind okay. of take her mind off it. Um, so it's not the final beat. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Both both books end very abruptly. Um, just at one point, and I don't know if I've made this clear or not, but a lot of the characters in Alice's Adventures in Wonderland are actually playing cards, like the King and Queen of yeah. Hearts are cards. Um, so at the end... 
perhaps people have seen the illustration but don't remember but like she they all like rise up at her and she screams you're nothing but a pack of cards and then she wakes up and there's dry leaves falling on her face and so <laughs> that that's what she thought the cards were and then in through the looking glass so when she becomes a queen that means she has to deal with the other two queens and that's not fun so that's the unpleasant <laughs> part like uh, like they give her a huge quiz of nonsense and ask her mouth questions She's like what but then they have a the red queen promised her it would all be feasting and fun and they go and have this huge feast and then just things go absolutely crazy and she ends by yanking the uh tablecloth off you know <laughs> magician style and she starts shaking one of the queens and then the queen turns into the kitten and then she's awake um so they both end very abruptly not very pleasantly um but it's funny wonderland when she's saying you're nothing but a pack of cards like she's still sassy she's not really afraid yeah but in uh there's a looking glass is a I think a lot trippier than, yeah. than uh, Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. So that one, it's like the things going on at the dinner table. Like one of the queens shrinks and goes into the soup and like, like <laughs> ladles walking toward her menacingly. Like it's a little more nightmarish. Um, but yeah, both end very abruptly. But when she wakes up, it's always, what a wonderful dream I had. <laughs> like it's not, it's, she's not scared in the least. And looking back on it, it's, she's just fine with it. I was throttling a queen. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> Turned into a kitty. Yay. What a beautiful dream. Uh, I know you talked a little bit about uh, how a lot of the illusions, the sort of more modern illusions in film and, and videos and everything, it might begin to lose uh, perspective on some of the Victorian meaning. Mm-hmm. Do you have favorite illusions or adaptations or anything that outside of the books where you're like, it gives you a thrill to see them? Yeah, well, there's, and honestly, I haven't seen enough of the movie adaptations. I've seen the really early ones, like the 1903 and 1907. Um, and cool. Yeah, yeah. It, like, yeah, when they were making, like, the great train robbery in the U.S., <laughs> they were making an Alice in Wonderland movie in the U.K. It's one of the first, yeah. like, wow. I was about to say talkie. It wasn't a talkie. But, yeah, one of the first motion pictures there. Um, the ones that I really like that I've seen, and again, I haven't seen all of them, but uh, are ones that really stick to the books in terms of what's being said i like the things that happen are so crazy it's the visual interpretations can vary greatly as you might expect um but the two uh, most faithful adaptations where it's literally almost line for line um from the book they're both actually bbc tv movies oh cool and one was from the late 60s um and the director just died and i forget his name which is bad I should know his name, but um, people really talk about that one like, whoa, that is the trippiest one, obviously. It was There were some psychedelic influences, and there really wasn't at all. They might think that because Ravi Shankar did the music, okay. but, but, <laughs> but the guy asked him to because it is a very hot day when Alice is dreaming, and he thought um, the sitar sounded like insects buzzing. So yeah. that's why he didn't pick him for any like groovy psychedelic reason. He just thought that would be cool. But almost every word in that movie until Peter Sellers shows up and just does whatever he wants, is word for word from Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, every line of dialogue. And then the BBC did it again in a very different way. I'm not going to remember what year. I want to say late 90s. But they did Through the Looking Glass and not Kate Winslet, Kate Beckinsale. Yes, Kate Beckinsale. (laughs) Um, So she's not Alice's age. She's not a child, but um, the way they framed it was she's reading Through the Looking Glass to her daughter and then she falls asleep and has this dream. But again, it's pretty much word for word um, from Through the Looking Glass, every line of dialogue. And they even inserted uh, supposedly a lost chapter to Through the Looking Glass was found oh, okay. in the 70s, I believe. Um, 
the jury's kind of still out on whether that's real or not, but they okay. actually included the wasp in the wig in this adaptation, which is kind of fun just to see it. Do you picture. like the wasp in the wig? No. <laughs> <laughs> now, like, I, if it's real, you're like, good, good edit, Lewis Carroll. Yeah, and I'm, it's funny, like I'm a member of the Lewis Carroll Society of North America. There's a lot of people who have been there since its inception in the 70s. So people okay. like an old guard that's been there a really long time. I have yet to suss out exactly how people feel about that. I mean, not that I can't have my own opinion, but right. I believe they were kind of um, integral in discovering it. And yes, I did just put discover in air quotes for those at home. <laughs> um, so I'm sure some of them are gung-ho and think it's absolutely 100% real. I've, I don't think it's real at all because it just kind of, there's reminders of every other chapter and he doesn't do that. I mean, he okay. just kind of repeats things over and over again. Um, and the origin of this is uh, he used to write letters back and forth to his illustrator, John Tenniel. Um, and unfortunately, Lewis Carroll kept all his letters, but John Tenniel threw away almost all of his. So we only have like half the conversation. But at some point, John Tenniel said, boy, I don't know. A wasp in a wig. Like, how the hell am I supposed to draw this? He didn't phrase it like that, obviously. He phrased it much more politely, I'm the sure. But just like, deal, but this just strains credulity. <laughs> I don't know. Um, so, I mean, that's how people even know that there might have been a wasp in a wig at some okay. point. I actually have a theory, which I don't think I've even talked about on my podcast, but in the same chapter that those two were talking about in those letters, uh, the finished product has a chicken-sized gnat. Okay. <laughs> and, and I think maybe he just changed it to a chicken-sized gnat. And, okay. And um, that's, I don't know. That it was just a, a, char- a one specific character, not a whole yeah. section. Yeah. Because um, he wasn't adverse to uh, to changing characters of Tenniel, you know, really gave him a hard time. He kind of respected him as, a, a, well, especially in the first book, as a much more famous yeah. um, person who had a lot of cachet um, in the... Through the Looking Glass, the poem The Walrus and the Carpenter, which is pretty much the most famous nonsense poem ever, and launched a thousand oyster bars called The Walrus <laughs> and the Carpenter, I think. Um, the Tenniel said, you know, I don't know, I don't really want to draw a carpenter. And and Lewis Carroll actually said, like, oh, well, you know what, we could make him uh, a butterfly. I guess he really wanted those three <laughs> syllables. Or a baronet, which I guess is... Someone kind of in between a baron and a regular person. I looked it okay. up at some point. But a it's baronet? A baronet. Um, oh, man. And then finally, they're like, no, no, just you can keep it a carpenter. It's fine. I'll draw a carpenter. Um, <laughs> but it's funny because a lot of people do like to read into that chapter, especially like if the carpenter is, you know, the carpenter. <laughs> <laughs> um, but obviously not if he was willing to change him into a butterfly. And I think part of the um, reason a or lot a of people. Half man, half bear. Yeah, right, yeah. You know, from the Bible. <laughs> I believe Matt Damon in Dogma has a soliloquy about the walrus and the carpenter saying that it's um, Jesus Christ. And it's just wrong, people. Just please don't get all your your Victorian knowledge from Matt Damon. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. So how much does it annoy you that people have? I mean, there's one thing to like be like, I've just I have here's my essay on a on a critical reading. Mm-hmm. It's different for everybody to walk around and think the book is about drugs right does it does it bug you is that a part of the the uh motivation for doing the the podcast too yeah definitely i mean i try not to let anything bug me (laughs) you know like you know like in the world at large gosh it's hard but yeah i mean but yeah absolutely i wanted to set 
the record straight. And again, the Disney movie is very trippy. I mean, I think it's a much fairer question to ask if the Disney animators were on drugs <laughs> than Lewis Carroll. Because the whole movie, it's so shrill. I watched it in recent years. I'm like, whoa, this is loud and it's hurting my eyes. Um, but yeah, I definitely want it. Like even my own mother, who's never listened to my podcast because she says she can't figure it out. And I'm like, mom, the play button, like on YouTube, you just hit play. But, um, but she's like, well... I mean, I like the book, but it's so obvious he was on drugs. Oh my gosh. <laughs> really? 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 Yeah. 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 Um, so, I'm, yeah, I, I definitely am trying to do my small part to set the, the record straight there. Um, yeah. I think you're doing a good yeah, job. I learned. You. <laughs> uh, if you could have a drink uh, with Lewis Carroll, what would you ask him? Oh, boy. That's a toughie. <laughs> it's tough because I wouldn't want to pry too much. Yeah. But he kept copious diaries. And, okay. And um, at some point, he and the Little family, so the Deans, um, Dean Little and his daughters, remember Alice is the, the daughter he wrote okay. about, um, they had a falling out. Oh, no. And those diaries are they disappeared. Like after he died, a member of his family was like, well, this is no one's business. I'm just put these away so this okay. is this is part of the reason for the rampant speculation like some people are like oh obviously he asked alice to marry him and it's like no that's not obvious at all actually <laughs> and honestly unfortunately in victorian times it kind of wasn't that unusual if there was like a 14 year old to be like hey we get along great and to talk to the parents and be like ah when she's 18 what do you think you know? yeah. but, so it actually that might not have been that shocking if he asked to marry him but there's no proof for that whatsoever so i mean i would want to i want i would want to know where the rift came but at the same time he i've asked myself like why should you know that's none of your yeah. business i know at this point we think of him as an, an historical figure but i i think he would be really mortified to know we have access to the diaries we do have because yeah. he, was, he was a conflicted man a lot of the time you know he really poured his heart out there and like why why should i have access to this so yeah maybe i just write him ask him to write a book for me <laughs> <laughs> what would you want the book to be starring heather um well i don't know he'd have to think of a new way to get me into a uh a, a magical land okay i mean i've always thought of it as uh maybe jumping out of an airplane without a parachute <laughs> or something and you could i don't know something like would that. would you want to be something. following a creature or you wouldn't want it to be that derivative <sighs> creature yeah if the creature was cool sure <laughs> yeah no derivative's fine he can like make it barely different in fact just yeah just put me in it instead and call it heather's adventures in wonderland <laughs> <That'll be perfect. laughs> i think there's a great thing to ask this carol uh this is a weird question but i, I read about the both books ending in a dream mm -hmm. if uh you considered right now uh, the life that you are living to be a dream mm -hmm. would you want to wake up you know <laughs> that's a good question and I actually, I've, I was debating whether to talk about something kind of huge. Oh, yeah. I wasn't sure because I haven't even told my own podcast listeners this. Um, but I, I have bipolar disorder and I finally uh, had the, the manic episode that I think all people with bipolar eventually have that just is huge and momentous and like endangers your life and your marriage and your career and everything and it lasted a really long time like three or four months and even though looking back on it you know oh that's not how we behave <laughs> that's not how people are supposed to do things yeah um waking up from that was very very difficult um 
and joining the real world. Like, okay. I mean, looking back, it's so obvious, like, oh, that's like Wonderland. And like, yeah. I came back to be sleepy and stupid on the bank. <laughs> and um, it, that was very hard to wake up from. So my life right now, yeah, I'd love to wake up from this and be in Wonderland. <laughs> but I know you can't. I know you can't do that at all. Yeah. And in fact, that jumping out of an airplane analogy, a friend asked me what it was like to be manic. And I just automatically, I just said, oh, it's like, jumping out of an airplane and not caring if you, if you have a parachute or not it's beautiful and it kind of struck me almost a month later like like how like jumping down a rabbit hole without any thought as to how you're going to get out again right like yeah. it kind of gave me the chills and i'm like oh maybe maybe even as a child like i knew these things were coming and that's one of the reasons i clung to this book so much yeah. is that wonderland is so much better than the real world <laughs> yeah uh, and for you, with with processing all this, that that feeling of I'm gonna just let go and and, and dive is that mm-hmm. a that's a freeing feeling? Yes, yes. That's yeah. That's the tough part with mania. Is later on you look back and like, oh God, those are horrible things you're doing. But at the time, I mean, a psychiatrist told me it's the equivalent of the chemical changes in your brain are the equivalent of being on cocaine. So I was like that for three or four months. <laughs> and so, yeah, no, it's so freeing. Cause yeah. all you, and, and it's kind of like, Allison, you're just moving forward. Because, you know, I talked to my husband afterwards. And they're like, but what you were, were you thinking when you did this? And like, there's no thinking. You just move forward. Just move and forward. it's so freeing. Um, but again, you're doing horrible things <laughs> and, <laughs> and very destructive things. So it's not, I don't recommend it. But uh but yeah, it's incredibly freeing. Yeah, no, no I, that makes sense. I don't, mm-hmm. I uh, can't speak to. Uh, that experience but just in terms of like what you the way you've been describing the book and uh, my own wrestling with meaning mm-hmm. uh I, I can relate to that especially like performance and doing improv mm-hmm. that there is that feeling of it is scary <sighs> but as soon as you get past the scariness it's like well i'm out here now yeah and i just have to keep going and whatever i encounter i will deal with in some way Mm-hmm. Uh, is a very very freeing feeling, Absolutely. And, and I it makes me more excited to revisit Alice in Wonderland, thinking of it from that perspective of how freeing it is to just suddenly be like, oh, there's a rabbit, let's talk to him. <laughs> Better follow that right? guy. Yeah, there's <laughs> a then, mouse. He's not answering me in English. Maybe he knows French. Yeah, yeah just... <laughs> and whatever happens next, yeah. so be it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, please, yeah. Listen, if you if you don't want to read it, listen to the podcast because <laughs> I will tell you the first three episodes I did re-listen to a lot of episodes just i haven't actually recorded one in a while and so i was feeling a little rusty on my just bang bang facts kind of yeah. thing like i wanted to be able to rattle them off so i listened to a bunch and it was actually i was really relieved i'm like damn this is really good like i, I don't know when i first started i was terrified that it was just awful in the first three episodes i would say i'm a little low energy and they're a little shorter than the other ones because i think i wasn't feeling that confident about what people are going to want to hear what I want to say. Whereas now I'm like, no, you do know a lot more about this topic than the average (laughs) human being. It's okay to tell them what you know and what you think. Yeah. Um, But yeah. So yeah. And especially the looking glass episodes, I think we, I really came into my own, but yeah, the whole thing started, started episode one, everyone. Alice is everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to move on to our how obsessed are you questions. Uh, So do you think about Alice in Wonderland every day? Right now, I do not. I've certainly gone through years of my life where I have um, okay. at this point, and I can't answer why not right now, but not not every day. No. Okay, cool. When people walk into your home, can they tell you're obsessed with Alice in Wonderland? No, I think um, 
the Beatles obsession would be much more evident <laughs> upon walking into okay. uh, my apartment. There's just, I kind of made a conscious decision to not be a collector because number one, I live in an apartment. Yeah. <laughs> number two, I don't have that much disposable income and just it just seemed ridiculous to accumulate all these things. So I have just like one very overstuffed shelf of Alice things. Um, okay. Whereas my husband's also into the Beatles, so there's Beatles stuff everywhere. And it's a shared obsession. <laughs> yes. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, this came up, this has actually come up multiple times doing this podcast, Obsessed, where people seem to uh, sort of um, uh, uh, check themselves with Beatles obsession uh, in terms of never thinking that they are obsessed enough <laughs> to to come on the podcast and be like, oh, I'm obsessed with Beatles, but there's got to be somebody more obsessed right. than me. Right. Do, do you and your husband ever have that feeling? I don't think it's particularly healthy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when we um, we went to one Beatle Fest, and we definitely felt like, okay, <laughs> there, 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 are, there are people who are more into this than we are. Um, at the same time, though, I mean, we just went to the UK. This is the biggest trip of our lives in October. And did all of the Beatle and Alice things. Like we went, okay. to, I went, we went to Daresbury where Lewis Carroll was born. We went to Guildford where he died. We went to Oxford. We went to Liverpool. We went to all the sites in London, um, okay. all the Beatle sites in London. Um, no, I mean, I think I could. Well, I mean, I have a two-part podcast just talking about Lewis Carroll's influence on the Beatles, so okay. I'm sure I could just talk about Beatles for any number of hours if you, awesome. if you need a Beatles guest. Well, at some you know, point. I might, I might uh, at some point because yeah. I'm tired of people going like, "Well, I'd like to talk about the Beatles, but I can't." Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yourself. they are so beloved and so universal. I yeah. can understand people being a little trepidatious. Yeah, love the Beatles if you want to. I say, <laughs> um, would you ever cosplay as any of the non-Alice characters? Would you dress up as hmm. A Cheshire cat or uh, any of the mice or a, a pool of tears or anything. You know, I, I had a birthday party where, of course, I was Alice. And, okay. I, and I had like a Q&A <laughs> or, or a frequently asked questions. I'm like, and, you know, if the number one question, may I be Alice? No, you may not. I am Alice. You can be anyone else in the book. Um, and I did finally get like a big, you know, petticoat filled costume, which is nice to have there because now every year I used to just come up with something every Halloween yeah. and it would be really feeble. But um, yeah. And now every uh, Halloween you're Alice? Pretty much. Now, I, I did think, and you guys can use this if you're ever invited to a tea party and <laughs> people would be delighted. I did think if I were ever invited to an Alice thing where I couldn't be Alice, that it would be great if my husband and I went as a flamingo and a hedgehog. <laughs> because during the croquet match, um, the, the mallets are live flamingos and the croquet balls, I guess. Yeah, are, yeah. Are, uh, they are live hedgehogs. And I thought, how cute would that be? One person in a little hedgehog hat. And yeah, I could have a pink dress. It'd be great. <laughs> okay, I'm going to take that as a yes to dress up. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I'm going to figure out what a baronet is and dress up as that. It's awesome. <laughs> Uh, if a friend was criticizing Alice in Wonderland at a party, would you engage with that in any way? Um, if they just said they didn't like the book, I mean, I that's fine. That's their opinion. If they did say something like, oh, Lewis Carroll was obviously on drugs or, oh, he's a pedophile, it's been proven or things like that, I would yeah. I would have a problem with that and would engage. Um, I have engaged. <laughs> but no, if someone doesn't like the book, none of my business. That's fine. Okay, fair enough. Uh, if there was a mysterious hole in the woods and someone told you there was another Alice book in the hole, would you stick your hand in the mysterious woods hole? Yeah, of course. <laughs> 
I've answered this question before in context where it doesn't make sense as much sense. When I was writing it for Alice in Wonderland, I was like, well, yeah, of course. It's just an Alice thing <laughs> so to do, right? A, right. <laughs> yeah, that'd be ridiculous if I didn't. That wouldn't make any sense at all. Yeah. Do you want there to be another Alice book? Do you want there to be a, a like a discovery of like, like, oh, my God, he wrote a third one that he never published? I don't because his later works... Um, I'm going to be honest with you. I never finished Sylvie and Bruno. He tried to write a novel for adults. Okay. And it is endless. <laughs> and and it's also, I mean, there's trippy concepts, like there's time travel in it and things that didn't happen a lot in Victorian literature. So I appreciate it for that, but it's it's awful. It's just awful. So, yeah, it's kind of, I like things kind of in the order he wrote them. I like Alice's Adventures in Wonderland the best. I like um, Looking Glass after that. I like... The Hunting of the Snark a lot. I like Phantasmagoria a lot, but um, yeah, Sylvie and Bruno, no. Okay. So yeah, I think it's perfect the way it is. Again, unless he wanted to write one for me specifically. Okay. <laughs> That's <Yes>. fine. <laughs> um, if a politician you already lean towards supporting said they were a big fan of Alice in Wonderland, would it make you support them more? Mm, boy, I don't know. Um, John Lennon actually said that his love for the books, he found that comforting because you know, he thought he had some kind of strange images in his brain in general. And the fact that he loved these books that everyone else loved made him feel more sane. Yeah. Like he took comfort in that. Whereas I, even before I knew I was insane, <laughs> like <laughs> legally, I I always thought the opposite. I'm like, the fact that I can make perfect sense of these books uh, might mean I'm batshit crazy. So I would not want a politician <laughs> to be a huge fan or to say they have a huge understanding of that. Yeah, he needs to keep a level head. But, I mean, so so you would really be concerned for the politician? <laughs> <laughs> well, it depends. I mean, if he just, like, put it on a, I don't know, like a 10 best list or something, that's fine. <laughs> but if he was, like, super, super into they were, like, it. like, pounding the podium. Yeah, then I would, I would take pause yeah well i mean i can certainly understand your your personal relationship mm -hmm. and journey with them but also like hearing you talk about them it is just reminds me how much uh especially it sounds like the first book is just reconnecting with that ability to have flights of fancy that mm -hmm. we all have and that we have more i think when we're kids yes you know and honestly that's that's why i like lynch's stuff because he he just thinks of these things and they make sense to him Right. <laughs> and because they're honest to him, they resonate with us. And I, I think that I would like to see there be more creativity like that, where people just access that sort of level of, you call it inner even child? In, even in your politicians? Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know if I would want people <laughs> to say, like, I have determined that I must give the president of Ukraine a hedgehog <laughs> on Valentine's Day. And this will, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so fair enough. Fair, but uh, I, I no, honestly, I do think actually having flexibility in the way you think, sure, yes. is uh, is inspiring to me, and in flexibility in terms of like, uh, I just feel like you can understand the world better if you let yourself free associate. Yeah, not with fair. everything mm -hmm. all the time. Right, not when your hands on the red button <laughs> so much. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> maybe keep your eye on the prize. In that I instance. thought I was dribbling a chicken in Wonderland, but I was yeah. pounding the nuclear arms button. Yeah, yeah, that, that's that's concerning. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, if aliens were visiting Earth and you got to greet them, would you read them an Alice book to explain humanity? 
<laughs> no. <laughs> no, I would not. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, what do you think aliens would make of, of humans if you're like, this is an example of who we are? So they can speak our language? Like, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I think they'd... Yeah, they'd have a lot of questions. <laughs> Just, <laughs> they'd want to know, well, why Why would you go that way? If someone told you someone mad lives there, why would you walk right up to that door and, and walk in? Like, why? They'd have a lot of questions about why people are doing what they do. And that, yeah. yeah. Okay, fair enough. Uh, if you were about to see a stage adaptation of Alice that you really wanted to see, but a bear, not a bear net, a mm-hmm. bear was blocking your path, would you try to get around the bear? What kind of bear? Uh, like a, a big one, like a grizzly bear. Okay, so grizzlies, <laughs> grizzlies, you're supposed to play dead if they attack. Black bears, you, you're supposed to fight. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard. Oh yeah, yeah. I've never heard this straight up. You're supposed to. Yeah, yeah. No, I was. <laughs> I've been. I've, I've spent some time in Alaska and Montana. And you have you have you fought a bear? I have not fought a bear, but I've gotten very explicit instructions like grizzlies, and I don't understand why they don't want to eat you once you're dead. But you're supposed to play dead if it's okay. a grizzly, black bear. I don't know how you fight a bear. Like, you punch him in his little snout. Um, but you're actually supposed to fight, or he will. He's not going to leave if you play dead. Like, he'll keep killing, he'll, he'll, he'll keep he'll, killing he'll, you he'll until you're you. dead. Okay. You yeah. have to, like, take off yeah. your glove and, yeah. and slap the bear in the face and challenge it to a duel. Although, grizzlies, too, though, they said um, if after five minutes he's still attacking you after you've played dead, then start fighting back because this is a predatory attack. Can you, how after lo- five minutes? How long would those five minutes be? Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, if it were a like a uh, a panda bear or a koala there'd just be hugs and i'd go right by but <laughs> but polar grizzly boy i don't even remember the question the show is on the other side yeah the bear yeah, is blocking yeah. the show i mean the spirit like, of the question is it's he a like a really question. cranky usher <laughs> the polar bear with a little bellhop uniform uh, on is what i'm picturing the spirit of the question is there's something that alice related you want on the other side <laughs> and you can dart around mm-hmm. but maybe that will cause a problem maybe it won't do you do you are you so invested in your obsession that you just dart around or is it something where the concern for <laughs> your safety would overtake but i want to talk about bears more um, <laughs> well, <laughs> you're in the right place we can talk about bears yeah no i would i would do my best to uh, get around the bear but in a, a i know my way around bears so i would do it very <laughs> i would talk to him in a low voice <laughs> i would not move very quickly if i had a small child with me i would hold them close so he would not see them as prey i would i would make it work i'd get by him I'm okay sure. okay yeah. uh i meant to ask this earlier there's so much in the books that does seem like uh it is about alice challenging authority yes do you, would you would you see uh would you see this as an alice-like thing to challenge the bear's authority. <laughs> um, no, I don't think so. Because, I mean, she, although she is smart around creatures, like she does notice right away when she's introduced to the griffin, with, which is half eagle, half lion, um, like, ooh, he's got some sharp claws. Like, so she's just smart around creatures okay. like that. Like, she notes, like even Cheshire Cat, she's like, ooh, those are some big teeth. Okay. <laughs> um, but, you know, she timidly... Gets to know him. is like, oh, he's cool. This is fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it would be a little Alice-esque, I guess, and that I wouldn't I wouldn't be challenging him, but I'd be trying to. You'd be like, assessing. Yeah, exactly. Okay, yeah. Is there honey on his paws? What yeah. does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I ask everyone to make a noise to sum up their obsession. What kind of noise do you have for Alice in Wonderland? Hmm. Not that noise. Um, <laughs> 
what I'm tempted to do, which would hurt your ears, is uh, I saw an Alice in Wonderland opera, which wow. I, I like the idea of a lot more than uh, the implementation. That's not the right word. But uh, for about five minutes, it seemed like, to depict her falling down the rabbit hole, she just did a bunch of runs. <laughs> <laughs> like it just went on and on and i'm like you know what this is clever i appreciate it but please stop it please stop it this is horrible so something like that <laughs> like that, falling down a rabbit hole <laughs> that is so awesome i love theatrical ideas that like that's very accurate it's a great idea don't want to see or hear it yeah no thank more thank you very much please no more uh, I ask everyone to give a rating to their obsession so on a scale of 1 to 10 10 being the highest and 1 being the lowest where would you rate your obsession well, that's a funny one because I feel like anyone who knows me would say like 11 <laughs> um, but I just feel like I don't know I'm kind of Oscar Schindler about it like there's so many more books <laughs> there's so many more biographies I, I haven't even really studied his phyto- photography there's, there's so much more that I could do um I feel like I'm only a five or six. Okay, because you, you just feel like there's so much more to explore. So much and do. more, um, but yeah, but I do have a website and a podcast that I've yeah. devoted countless hours to, so that might make the case for a. And you have slightly. business cards too, don't you? Oh, absolutely, I have business <laughs> cards. Hello. <laughs> yes. To be clear, Alice-related business cards, right? Yes, yes. Exactly. So you clearly are comfortable, and I think this is a great thing to own your obsession. Oh, yeah. To be like, yeah, of course, it's a fascinating thing. I love it, and mm-hmm. I want to tell everybody I love it. Yes. Do you feel like that changes your obsession rating, or is for you obsession like an internal thing? It's about what you are thinking, or do you see like that external side of it? Yeah, I mean, the fact that I am um, evangelizing the books, yeah. Yeah, maybe that brings me to a seven. Sure. Okay, <laughs> fair enough. I think uh, business cards demand at least a seven, is my personal opinion. We're going to move on to the uh, plugging section of the podcast. Right. So uh, you have mentioned the podcast, but can you tell people again like how to find it in the blog and all that? Absolutely. It is Well, the website is aliceseverywhere.com, and if you're old school, you can just go there. You can either click on the blog and read countless articles uh, like reviews of movies or Alice operas things like that um or just click on the podcast and you can listen to it there or of course I am on iTunes and Stitcher and I think Google Play now um but yeah most people seem to listen through iTunes and I'm of course on every social media known to man and what's funny I was listening to the those first podcasts I did in 2016 and I list all the social media and I'm like wait a minute is is Google still... What was their... Uh, Google Plus? Yeah, I was like, it? that's yeah. not a thing anymore, is it? Because no. I sure haven't posted on there. Okay, good, good. <laughs> okay, so I'm not on Google Plus anymore, but uh, I am uh, Alice is Everywhere with no spaces on Facebook and Pinterest, although I'm not very active on Pinterest. Um, unfortunately, on Twitter, due to character limits, I'm everywhere Alice. <laughs> Bummer. But yeah, but uh, Facebook and, and Instagram... Um, are probably my most active accounts and that's okay. analysis everywhere. Actually, Tumblr, uh, I used to really get into. It was a really fun way to reconnect with younger oh, I fans. Bet. Like a lot of like, you know, kind of goth kind of teenagers are so into Alice. And so I actually have by far the most followers on Tumblr. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, but when they change those rules, uh, what is it, about a year ago now, where they're oh, like, yeah. oh, yeah, no objectionable objectionable material. A lot of people got offended, and there's kind of a mass exodus. So yeah. I don't use that so much anymore. Their so. filters are not great. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. have uh, multiple pictures of squirrels that I'd posted on Tumblr, like cartoon squirrels, mm-hmm. and they think the squirrel's eyes are breasts. 
<laughs> so they tagged a bunch of my squirrel photos. Wow. Yeah, so not the greatest filters. Yeah, that never would have happened in the old days of Tumblr. They nope. would have said more squirrel breasts. More. <laughs> Here's some quick plugs for this show, and then we'll do our final questions. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram as at Joseph Scrimshaw. You can follow Obsessed Podcast on Twitter and Facebook as at Obsessed Podcast. You can also check out the Star Wars podcast I co-host. That is called Four Center. For info on all my upcoming shows and comedy albums, you can check out my website at josephscrimshaw.com. And you can support Obsessed by backing us on Patreon. Full info on that, go to patreon.com slash josephscrimshaw. All right, so these are now just our fun final questions. If there was a statue of you in a public park, what would you want to be doing in the, is a statue? <laughs> so this has nothing to do with Alice necessarily. Yeah, I mean, uh, I that's what I normally tell people, but it seems yeah. like everything uh, has to do with Alice. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, I I don't know where this is coming from, but I think I would like to be um, maybe telling a child a story. Oh yeah. That's great. I think that would be a very nice statue. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, no. I could be holding the book and it could say Alice's Avengers Wonderland, but I wouldn't have to be. Or it, it just could be yeah. a book. Yeah. yeah. Would you want the a child to be a part of the statue so it was very clear that you were yeah. reading to a child? I think so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because yeah. otherwise it would just be like you'd look like you were reading yeah. to a squirrel yeah. Yeah. <laughs> in the park. Uh, if you could have a cool nickname that everyone called you, what would you want it to be? <laughs> Yeah, I, I've never even had an uncool nickname. Like, I never had, like, my, my family and really close friends from my hometown just call me Hev. Okay. But that's not much of a nickname. Um, If I could have a cool name. Well, you know, I, I, no one took the hint. My pen name is Heather Hayer. How about Hayer? How about that? <laughs> March Hare. I've always been very partial to March Hare. He's my favorite after Alice. So, okay. yeah, call me Hayer. Okay. Why, why is he your favorite after Alice? Well... We didn't, you know, it's, again, so much to talk about. Know, we didn't really know, get into specific other characters and what they're like. But um, there is an exchange during the Mad Tea Party where the Mad Hatter is, or Hatter, he's never called Mad in the book, actually. But um, oh, wow. he's he's lamenting that his watch doesn't work. And he says to March Hare, like, I told you butter wouldn't suit the works. <laughs> and March Hare's response was, it was the best butter. And, and then and then he like looks at it and he dunks it in the tea and then he just kind of repeats but but it was the best butter and I've just of all the things that make sense to me in Alice in Wonderland that makes more sense than anything but it was the best why wouldn't it work like, yeah. it should it should be fine this butter is flawless yeah <laughs> and and also I like that uh, again everyone thinks it's the Matt Hatter's tea party it's at the March Hare's house it's okay. the March Hare's tea party but nobody knows that so I kind of like that Pete he's kind of the forgotten member of the, the tea yeah. party I guess when really it's his freaking house people and by the way the house shaped like a March Hare it's got big ears on it <laughs> it's horrible <laughs> well clearly the March Hare needs to become a uh, Batman inspired villain like many other Alice characters and then March Hare right? yeah. will, will rise to their uh, desired level of fame <laughs> Uh, the final question for everyone on the podcast is, what is happiness? Oh, man. I wish I knew. <laughs> <laughs> that is a good and sincere answer. Uh, yeah, I'm, I keep thinking of uh, comfortably numb lyrics. Like, I caught a vision out of the corner of my eye. I turned to look and it was gone. I can't put my finger on it now. I have no idea. If you find out, let me know. Okay. <laughs> do you uh, do you feel um, do you feel that happiness and contentment are the same in your mind? Do you, do you have moments where you just feel like here's where I am not wanting for anything? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know if they're the same thing, but yeah. I mean, I'm 
I'm not that miserable. <laughs> I, do, I certainly have moments where I'm content. But I guess I guess I am equating happiness with fulfillment. Okay. In a way that I have definitely not uh, attained. Okay. Okay. Uh, for contentment, mm-hmm. what is a moment where you feel content? Hmm. I like content. Um. You know, sitting around with one spouse, <laughs> I, I feel content. Then I feel content when I'm on the road. Um, yeah, but not in LA because driving here is not fun. <laughs> um, but just like yeah, one of my happiest times I would say was when I when finally went on my dream Utah road trip and went to like Monument Valley and the Grand Canyon. And okay, all these things that I've dreamed about since a kid. So um, yeah, so traveling or just sitting around. <laughs> <laughs> this is why I sometimes like to poke more of these questions. Then sometimes yeah. some gold comes out. Like yeah, you're you're, yeah. you're at you're most content either being entirely stationary mm-hmm. or moving forward. Yes, <laughs> that was, that's pretty much it. Yeah, yeah. which uh, seems awesome to have uh, yeah. both options. Yes, and I do like a nice cocktail as well. Well, I am right there with there's you. There's some there's some contentment that comes with that. For I'm going to sure. have some contentment, I think, when we're done recording. Yay. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming and doing the podcast. Oh, you are very welcome. It was my pleasure and. Uh, yeah, I don't know what to say. <laughs> Go G- read Good Alice, times, right? good times, yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. Bye. That is our podcast. Bye. You've been listening to Obsessed. Joseph Scrimshaw and his guest shared some stories with the rest. Rate five stars if you're impressed. Okay, so Hollywood's first attempt at an Alice movie. It was just this nightmarish romp through hell, basically. And for some reason, they took the biggest stars of the day and just completely obscured them with prosthetics. So W.C. Fields is Humpty Dumpty. Cary Grant is a mock turtle. They totally covered up Cary Grant's beautiful face. Just again and again, just awful, awful decisions. And not the uh, movie I would recommend watching first if you're going to watch some Alice in Wonderland movies.